1: LCSWC.
0: Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and I'm bringing you part two of my interview with Dr. Andy Hahn about how he incorporates energy work, spirituality, somatic work, and trauma work all into one method. So if you missed part one, that aired last week, and we'll have a link in the show notes to get you back to that. Also just wanted to quickly say thank you to everyone who registered for the trauma therapist consultation groups. They're full and registration is now closed. I'm so happy that we had a really great response. And if you're interested in joining one of these groups in the future, I'll put a link in the show notes to sign up to get information next time they're opened. So let's just dive right into my conversation with Dr. Andy Hahn. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today... I'm bringing you a part two of the conversation that started last week with Dr. Andy Hahn. Andy, thanks so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today.
1: Thank you for inviting me back, Laura. It's a total pleasure to be here with you and with your audience. So I feel very fortunate.
0: Well, thank Mm. you so much for saying so. And we feel fortunate too. I think our first conversation was so chock full of information and very fascinating. And so I wanted to go a little bit more in depth into a topic that we touched on last time, which is kind of an alternate perspective to what's happening in the body after people experience trauma. But before we even start talking about it, let's just, for anyone who may not have heard last week's episode, if you could give a little introduction to yourself and your work. Sure.
1: Uh, My name's Andy Hahn. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I... Got my doctorate in 1985. I got a PsyD, and it was a very eclectic PsyD, so I studied a lot of everything. And um, then uh, about four years after that, I started having some what are now called we'll call then also psi experiences and they were sort of like telepathic experiences and psychic experiences that i didn't really understand that well and they ended with an experience um where a friend of mine had fallen and hurt herself very badly and i was sort of flooded with light would be the best way i could describe it and i asked her to give me her ankle which was swollen and uh Discolored, and she was in a lot of pain and this energy just flowed through me and I just channeled it to her ankle. And then after about 10 seconds, all of those symptoms went away. At which point I said, like, this is a new world and I have to go and understand it. And I went and studied all kinds of different things which is the foundation of our you know the work that we all do together and the work that we do is a combination it's a psycho spiritual framework it's a mind body framework it's an energy based soul framework and it really starts with life and if i'm talking about trauma which is you know a lot of what we talk about here it's very simple to talk about what the work is. I can essentially do it in a very short period of time, which is, why do people come to therapy? I think we know. It's because there's only really one reason. There's something that can't be handled and integrated. That is the key. And when something can't be handled and integrated, you go from being the one who's having an experience to identifying with the one who's in the experience. So if, I think we talked about, although I don't remember, um, you know, if, uh motorcycle backfires and you have a panic attack, well, you're not having a panic attack right now because a motorcycle backfired, but maybe 10 years ago you were in a war and a bomb went off and you thought you were going to die and you couldn't handle it. And then suddenly you don't remember that you were in the war, you are reliving that over and over and over again. So therapy essentially is about mastering what couldn't be handled and integrated. And the idea is if you could master everything, you'd be free. There would be nothing that you would react to. And so what what we're really looking for is to become who we truly are, who is someone who wouldn't react to anything. And if we could do that, no one could do anything to us. And we could just go around and be fully present. We could be fully engaged in every moment with our hearts and minds open and open to everything. And no one could really do anything to us because we would already have faced it. So what could they do to us? Sort of like, you know, when Jesus finally comes to the realization that he hasn't been forsaken by his father and that they can't do anything to him, they he's not in any kind of anxiety anymore. He's not Saying, why have you, why have you done this to me? Why have you forsaken me? He says, like, they're blind. They don't know what they're doing because they don't know what's going on. So they think they're killing me, but they're not because I'm not identified anymore with being a Jesus. I'm much more than that. It's just an identity, right? So what we're trying to do is let go of our identifications so that we become who we truly ha- are, which is essentially everything. That's the point. And when we can say yes to everything, essentially we are everything. And then we know that all of us are the same. Everything in the whole universe is the same animating process. So really who we are is everything. We're just a particular version of everything. That's what I think therapy is really about. How do we do it? It's easy to describe. When there's something that can't be handled and integrated, in that moment, a discomfort is born. So that leads to a very interesting idea, which is that every discomfort is a narrative, every one of them. And everything you can't handle and integrate has an associated discomfort or discomforts. Or if I say to the person who's having the panic attack, when you're having this panic attack, what are you feeling in the body? and he says, my heart's palpitating, then I would say, well, it's not that you that's having a panic attack because nothing just happened right now. Someone is here whose name is heart is palpitating. That's their name. They're a living being. Your name is Andy. Its name is heart's palpitating until it tells you what its name is, which could be Andy 10 years ago, right? You know, in that case, well, I wouldn't have been in a war 10 years ago, probably because I'm. they can't see, but if you could see, you would see that would not be likely. But if I was 30 and that happened, I would be 20 year old Andy is here. Right. And that's another name for heart palpitating and heart palpitating who is 20 year old Andy has come to share a story. And the second you choose to become heart palpitating, you no longer are identified with 20 year old Andy. You are witnessing and holding 20 year old Andy while simultaneously learning firsthand, experientially, what 20-year-old Andy is experiencing. So it becomes very immediate, except the difference now is you've chosen it. And because you've chosen it, you no longer say, I am that. You just say, it's something I'm remembering. And the one who's remembering is the witness, the one who holds everything. And what we're aspiring to is to be able to say that with everything. Because if I could choose to be everything that I couldn't handle and integrate, I will have faced it and I would have become it and then I'd be free. And that's the basic idea. And then the only problem is, so the pure form of this is anytime you have a sensation, you could just choose to bring all your awareness and focus there and become the sensation and just say, okay, headache, what have you come to share before I take a pill? I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to try to get rid of you. I'm going to say you are here to share something. And everything that we suffer about, which means that we're anxious about it, or we're judgmental about it, or we're comparative about it, or we're shut down about it, whatever it is that we're suffering about, we could say, when I'm suffering that, what happens in the body? And you'll feel something, even if you feel nothing. And feeling nothing is a feeling, it's called, dissociation is called, you know, I'm feeling nothing is something. And then you'd say, well, where are you feeling in your body? I'm feeling nothing. And I have not yet had one person who couldn't answer that question. So they'll say, I'm feeling nothing in my stomach. Okay, I'll say, become the nothing feeling in the stomach, and then they'll find their story about why they were dissociating, okay? So as soon as you can do that, you're great. Now the only problem is, sometimes the thing you think is the problem is it's a symptom of something else. So, let's suppose, since you talked about, I don't know what we talked about last time, because I can remember, I I tell 15 stories over and over and over again because they're dreams to me, but I never remember which ones. Let's suppose, you know, you're at a conference with me, and you come up and you say... I want to work on my major depression. Nothing has touched it. You know, I've taken, I've done all kinds of therapies. I'm at a behavioral medicine conference. I've taken all kinds of medication, but I still feel weighed down. I feel helpless. I feel hopeless. I can't move. And then I'm gonna find out through a process that we call kinesiology or muscle testing if that's the most important thing to work on, which I can describe to you later if you're interested in going back over that, but it's just a way of accessing your deepest wisdom. And it may say, no, that's not really what the thing is that's most important, that's a symptom of something else. And then you start to have a panic attack in front of all these people and you say, oh my God, I'm having a panic attack in front of all these people and I'm gonna do something wrong and they're gonna all kill me. And I can find out is that the most important thing Thing to work on. Well, let's say it doesn't say it is. Then what I, let's say the person doesn't know what the most important thing to work on is. Then what I've done is I've tried as best I can to map sort of universal thematic mythic stories that happen over and over and over again. Stories of deaths that can't be handled, stories of betrayal, neglect, being taken over by energies. There's all of these stories being abducted by ETs. If you can think of the story, And it's something in common knowledge, it's something you get stuck in. Well, let's suppose we find out that person is stuck in a traumatic death, which we call a death wish, which is to say that the real problem is there's someone there who couldn't handle the death, however you want to understand that, because it doesn't matter how you understand it, right? And so their problem isn't the depression, the weighed down, helpless, hopeless, can't move. It isn't, I think these people are going to kill me. It's an unfinished death. So if I say to that person, what happens in the body when you really allow a part of me that want, a part of me is experiencing, I want to die? Let's suppose you have then say, oh my God, my neck is hurting terribly, and you start to violently wrench your neck, and then you bring all your attention there, and suddenly you are a person because you can be kinesthetic, so you would live it out, or you could see it visually like a movie, or you just might know it like you're reading a novel, but the person I'm talking about was very kinesthetic. So she starts violently wrenching her neck, and she's saying, oh my god, a guillotine's coming down on me, and she's screaming at that point. You asked if that ever happens. If If you remember it kinesthetically, then you'll be she'll be choosing to remember it as though you're reliving it but you won't but you won't be you because you're the one who chose it And she's screaming you know the guillotine's coming down in her head and she's screaming at god and saying how could you do this to me i was a good christian didn't i do everything right okay and then she says i think i must have died in that tone of voice so we know what her problem is her problem is that she couldn't handle the death she couldn't integrate it she was too scared psychically, and she was too scared of what was happening. So she left her body before she had died. And so now she's stuck. We living that out over and over and over again. And suddenly we realize her depression, where she says, I'm weighed down, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I can't move. That's not a metaphoric way of describing the depression. It's literal. So, whatever you experience is you're always literally telling your story. And she's telling a story, but no one's listening in the literal. They just say, oh, that's how she describes your depression. No, she's in a story where she's weighed down, helpless, hopeless, can't move. She's in a story where she's in front of a whole crowd of people and they're throwing terrible things at her, you know, right before she dies. And she's there and they're throwing things at her and she's saying, I'm never going to be in front of a crowd of people again. They'll kill me. So she has a story about that in this lifetime, but that's not it. That's just a reenactment, just like the guy who has the panic attack, you know, from the bomb going off 10 years ago. She's just reenacting that death story. And, you know, if, if she was betrayed by a man out there who she thought loved her, she'd come in and she'd say, you know what? Or let's suppose she thinks she did something wrong and she was caught because she wasn't careful enough. Or whatever, she might come in and have a major depression and have panic attacks about being in front of people and be OCD and fear betrayal in relationships and hate God but we would know it was only one story in which all those five things were wrapped up. So theoretically, if you could take care of her, and that was the only reason those problems were there, you would have something that looked like a miracle, which in that case it did, because when we got done, she said, I think I must have died. So we say, well, we know what your problem is. What's your problem? You didn't know you would die. That's why a part of you experienced guy want to experience dying, because it knew it died, but it never experienced it. So we're going to go back this time and do it differently. This time you're going to die and no, you died and she did and in 20 minutes after we took her through that process which i could explain to you she's there in front of this crowd of people and she's like laughing with them and she says this is this is weird like you know i'm laughing with you guys i should think you're going to kill me but i don't think it anymore and we're in an amphitheater so she's turning her head from side to side and she's saying this is impossible because i can't turn my neck i had whiplash except her whiplash wasn't a whiplash it was just a An energetic that was bringing back to her the possibility of remembering where this thing crystallized, you could say in a hologram, so that it was a stuck, dense energy. And so it brings it back. That neck pain will bring back a whiplash story in what's this person's current lifetime as an echo of a reliving of that traumatic death. In 1783, if you believe in that, and if you don't, it doesn't matter because you'll still experience the story and you can call it a myth or you can call it, you know, like a dream, or you can call it imagination, or if you're with a child, you'd call it play therapy. It doesn't matter. But what matters is she's turning her neck from side to side and she's saying, I can't move my neck this far, and if I did, I'd be screaming here in excruciating pain and I don't feel any pain. And if her OCD was there and it was only this, she'd say, oh, my God, my OCD is gone. And if she felt betrayed in relationships and it was only this, suddenly her relationships would improve. And she, what she said is, I feel the presence of God here. I've never felt that in my whole life. I keep going to these workshops, and everyone else is saying they're having the experience why not it's a clue to what it is that she's trying to remember it's not the problem it's the point but we don't listen to ourselves so and so that's the message and the message is if you can find out what the real problem is and you can find out the root cause of it where it crystallized right And you can find out what that being needs. And you find out those three things what the real problem is, where it originated, because everything else is an echo. It doesn't do as well if I work with the guy who's having the panic attack because a motorcycle backfires as if I work with a soldier 10 years before, right? I have to, if you don't know the cause, you can't know the resolution. At least that's my way of understanding things, Mm -hmm. right? And, 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 and you, and you have to find the right practice for the situation and you have to open to everything so in this case what was the right practice the right practice was oh you didn't know you would die so we're going to take you through a death and i have three different ways that I can do that with people. One called the Buddhist Poa practice, which is just to go out through the crown of your head, which was, of course, in that story, funny, because she said, which one, the one, the energetic one on top of my head, or the one that's rolling down the hill. And that was, she actually said that, but you know, so, I mean, that's, so what I do is I find out with you what the real intention is, I find out where it originated. I find out what that being needs, whether it's three-year-old you or you from, you know, you know, some other, whatever you want to call it, from an imaginal dream-like story or, and I, we can find out anything. If we can open to the possibility, we might find out that, you know, whatever you believe about it, that, you know, the pain you have around your neck that you want to rip your clothes off because it's this terrible pain, but, but you can't, how could you have that pain? Because you have had surgery, they cut off all of your nerves, but you're still having the pain. But when you find out something happened in the hospital, but it was a lot of Children who had died who were looking for a mother and you were the best mother there and they were hanging on to your neck, but you never would have thought about your neck. You know, this feeling you were having in your neck, like you wanted to rip off your teeth, you know, your turtleneck was a bunch of dead children. However, you want to understand that. And it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, because if you take care of the kids and then, and that feeling, that excruciating feeling goes away, you won't care if it's real. Or if it's in your imagination or anything, all you'll care about is you don't have to rip off your turtleneck. And that's what we do. That's our story.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. And I want to get more into, I think what my experience of being a therapist, and I've only been out of school for 10 years, but my experience of being a therapist is that there can be moments that really feel magical, I guess, for lack of a better word, where something happens that's... More than what you can see, and you know, there's a deep feeling of a shift that's transformational that is not really explainable by the therapy techniques that we learn. And I've definitely, I know we talked last time, and and when you and I were chatting before we started recording, uh, you referenced that I have training in sensory motor psychotherapy, and in doing using that work to do somatic therapy. I've definitely experienced things that are like, wow, I don't understand how this could happen. And Mm -hmm. certainly clients have felt that too. But one thing I have felt as a therapist is that talking and even somatic work without incorporating any kind of energy work or chakras, sometimes it can feel like there's there's something missing. Or when you add that in, it just adds a piece that is like, yeah, this is what was needed here. So I was hoping we could talk kind of about that perspective of what happens in the body when someone's traumatized, instead of our usual way of talking about it.
1: Sure. Well, let me talk about two things, because, you know, I'll talk about how you can talk about it. And then I'll talk about what What's useful about talking about it that way, okay, so let's look at this thing for a second. What happens in your what happens energetically when there's something that can't be handled and integrated, and really, what you'll find is i'm going to keep this pretty simple. one or more of three things happens right so let's talk about where things are if things are going perfectly. And we're going to talk about fields of energy, centers of energy, and flows of energy. And the flows are called meridians if you're in Chinese medicine. And the, the centers are called chakras if you're in various traditions. And the fields are called a variety of things also. So when you're traumatized, one or more of three things happens. Either the field breaks apart, at which point you feel some sense of I'm not integrated, and people talk about it like it's dissociation. If a field breaks apart, it's called dissociation or it's called lost soul parts if you're in a different tradition. And the way people talk about it is I don't feel like I'm all here or they'll talk about it like, you know what, my my emotions are separated from my thoughts or my sexuality is separated from my love or my Ability to deal with details is, is, I can't deal with details in the big picture. So they'll say a variety of things that will either be something like, I don't feel like I'm all here or I feel like I'm broken into pieces. And they'll talk about it that way. And it's because literally that's what happened. Something broke apart, we'll call that. And so the field that is supposed to be integrated and integral is supposed to be one, is now in pieces, all right? That's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is what are your chakras or your energy centers? They're supposed to be clear. They're supposed to be, if you could see them, if you had a third eye, you could see them, they would look clear. But when there's a trauma, they get clouded over. And so what happens is chakras, if you wanted to say, what are chakras or energy centers about? They're really about, things in relationship with each other. So depending on which chakra, because depending on what system you like, we can talk about anything from seven to 12 of them, typically, of these energy centers, one or more of them will get cloudy and at that point you will say something like you know what i don't know what to do in this kind of relationship i don't know what to do with in my relationship with my clan i don't know what to do with my relationship with my creativity i don't know what to do with my relationship with myself i, I my heart you know i don't know how to access my my compassion i i can't uh, you know when i when i know what it is that i have to say to you i can't say it and i can't hear myself so you'll you'll talk about it as a way of being unclear. But really what that is, if you could see it, is energy centers in your field that are literally become unclear. And so you could do something about that. The third one we're talking about is flows. Now, when you're in the flow, you know it. You're, it's, it's vernacular. I'm in the flow. It's like, yes, I'm going forward. I'm, I'm fully here, and I'm in the flow. But the next thing that happens is we have a bunch of like rivers in our field, and when you have a trauma, they can get stuck. And you will literally say, I'm stuck, and it will be around some issue. And the issue could be content, or it could be an emotion, or it could be anything. But people, when people say they're stuck, right, like frozen and stuck and they can't move on some area, what you really are saying, there's a block and a flow. Okay, so that's the way you could talk about what happens in the energy field, and I'm trying to give you a little sense of how people would talk about it that's useful. So, depending on which one it is, different kinds of interventions are useful. So, most of your audience probably knows about tapping interventions. Well, tapping interventions are really good in if the problem is I'm stuck because what that means is the river the meridian around some theme has stopped moving and you will know it because you will you won't be able to let go of things or you'll be stuck in your rage or you'll be stuck in your shame or you'll what you'll be stuck in something and all of these meridians you could say if you could start the flow again you would get unstuck there would be flow again there'd be movement again Right? Mm-hmm. All right. So that's why people use things like EFT or any of the or any of the tapping interventions. That's what they're spectacular for. And since, you know, if that's the one tool you have, if you can Eventually, that will take, you know, you can, you know, if you undo the rivers, eventually that will affect the centers and eventually it would even affect the fields. But it's not perhaps the most elegant way of doing it. But, you know, it will do something for sure. Now, let's suppose it's a problem of your relationship with something more. It's not so much you're stuck. It's that you were like in this place of unclarity or like, you know, I can't I can't do something in the context of a relationship. Well, then you would find out that. Something has happened with the chakras. And the typical thing you do for that is one of two things. You either do some kind of visualization practice. Well you, they, you typically do, you do a vibrational practice, which for most people is going to be one of three kinds. It's going to be kinesthetic, auditory, or visual. If it's kinesthetic, they're going to do something like shaking. So like, why is it that shaking works? You know, if you're doing somatic experiencing, for example because you're kinesthetically letting go of what's happening there, right? If it's a visualization process, if it's an if it's, 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 uh, auditory process, you'll make a sound. And there are sacred sounds in many traditions, and each of them aligns with a different chakra. So it's like a key that unlocks the chakra and lets it go, get back into its clarity. If it's, uh, if it's visual, you do one of two things typically. You either start spinning it, which is sort of like you know using a dryer or a washing machine it cleans it or you use light and each of the chakras, depending on what system you're in there's a color of light that's associated with each of these centers and it's like bringing something a higher vibration to a denser vibration and so it 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 clarifies it and so a lot of my practices, you know, when I'm doing chakra work, are light practices. And what you do is you open to a color of light as you focus on the discomfort in your body. And in some systems, it makes a circle around you. So it's like a clock. And in other systems, it's vertical. And it actually, in your visualization, it matters whether you do it straight vertically or you do it more like it goes around you. And I will tell you, for most people, in my experience, it's a, it's a more it's, it seems more powerful if you start at your root which is red. And you go up to your crown, which is different in different systems. It's either gold or white. Um, The system that most people respond to for me, the crown chakra, which would be the seventh, is gold. But you go through all of these colors. So it would be red, orange, yellow, green, blue. In this system, the third eye is white. Gold would be the crown. And then you start going around the back to clear as a color, like the clear color of clear water and then silver and then purple, pink and violet, ultraviolet. And each of these is moving up a heightened vibration that comes to a different center front and back. And then you can go to black, which essentially is the fullness. It's it's all possibilities. It's all potential as a 13th color that opens you to everything. And that's a very powerful practice for that. So Different practices or different interventions are useful, and I told you, you know, if you have a dissociation practice, well, there are all kinds of practices you can use for that. The simplest one is something called frontal occipital holding, and frontal occipital holding is very nice practice, and I would highly recommend people get it when they're feeling like they're not fully there. They put, if you put one hand on your forehead lovingly, like someone would be like, you know, be like the most wonderful mother you could ever imagine if he's gently putting her hand on your forehead and saying, like, I'm here with you. And you literally can do it. You put one hand behind your head, right? Like like I'm supporting you. And what that does is it makes an energetic connection between the occiput and the frontal lobe, which is a very good thing because then what you're doing is you're reconnecting The occiput, which is, I could say a lot about the occiput, but really it's about literal vision, and it's also about, to some degree, about your emotional life, and you're reconnecting it with the prefrontal lobe, which is about executive function. So suddenly, your emotions and what you saw and the emotions that came up with it will not be disconnected from your capacity to be an executive anymore. So frontal occipital holding, if you're dissociated, in my experience, tends to be a little bit better than EFT, but, you know... If you have one tool, you'll use your one tool. But if you have both of them, you can find out, well, which is the best key that would unlock whatever it is where you're stuck? And if you know EMDR, then you're going to be crossing midlines, which will be really like, you know, why does EMDR work, for example? Well, that's, that's a different way of bringing fields back together, but it's more about a left-right split, which essentially in a nutshell, is you can't put together the big picture and the little picture, right? So you're stuck in a little picture someplace, and you can't get to the bigger picture. So what does crossing a midline do for you? Essentially, what it does when you focus in your body is it says, I can be in my small experience, but I can hold it in a bigger experience. So if that's what you're looking to do, EMDR is spectacular. Or another intervention, which is a version of it called Reversal tapping, which is like crossing the midline with your finger, except you do it as an infinity loop, because then you're also firing in your brain, which means you become more open, you, you know, sort of visual, auditory and kinesthetic. So if you make it instead of just going straight across your midline, if you make an infinity loop across your midline and follow it with your eyes, you're crossing the midline, but you're also firing you know, kinesthetic, again, auditory, visual, real, and imaginal, so it's a really beautiful practice. And you can begin to know what practices are likely to be of most use in any particular situation. And if you have lots of practices, then you'd say, well, let's try to figure out which would be the best one. And if you have a way of accessing the person's deepest wisdom, then you'd know which practice would be the best one to start the meridians flowing again or to clear the chakras or to bring the fields back together. And essentially, then you have another tool in your toolbox or several tools, and you know what they're useful for, and then you can link that back up with the body, but the body will take care of itself, because really what you need to know there, I'm sorry, I'm trying to give you a lot of information at once. You gotta figure that energy is going much faster than matter. So everything that's happening in your body, whether it's brain function or anything that's literal, is gonna be a dense version of a higher vibration called your field center and flow. So if you can take care of the field center and the flow, it will almost by definition take care of the matter. And suddenly your brain function will be working better, which is, of course, fascinating. And you can work, I would say, much more sort of efficiently and effectively if you start with energy than if you start with literal matter. But, you know, that's my way of thinking about these things. And you can start with things like brain function or, well, I'm I, I'm not gonna go through all of that with you either. but. I mean, if you start with, if you start with brain function, you'll start with the brain function you'll start with, um, you know, the theories of trauma that work on, on polyvagal theory and, and that work. And, you know, but you could start with the energy and then there'll be sort of like a flow that will transform brain function. And, you know, you can actually see that if you do the research, you can actually see when you do these kind of energetic interventions, you can actually read it in the field. You'll see changes literally in the energy in your body that are measurable. I don't know if that spoke to your question or not, Laura, because like, you know, you can't line me up. I can, you know, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yes. Well, you, you said a lot and my mind's trying to, it's best to keep up. But I think what I experience is that, and I think we talked about this a little bit in our first interview, that all the stuff that we are learning about neuroscience and all the stuff that seems like magic that happens in therapy, you know, I know that it, there's all, an, there was always an explanation, but, you know, getting the, The backup for how it all works, you know, it's like it's slow to catch up on the informative side. So the information that you have when you talk about, like when you talk about dense energy and vibrational energy, I don't completely understand that. But I don't know if it's important for me to understand it to get the point of what you're sharing there.
1: I'll tell you one thing that's important to understand when you choose to be a witness that's bringing your awareness to something, you're bringing essentially in this dimension something that's vibrating at the speed of light, which is, you know, it's actually, if you do it in a certain way, it's like bringing the speed of light squared to matter, which is one. And it's like, what is matter? It's energy that's slowed down by, you know, energy, E E equals MC squared in this dimension, right? What does that mean? It means if you slow down energy to the tune of the speed of light squared, it turns into matter. Well, what you can do is you can go in the opposite direction. If you can bring E to M, it speeds up by the tune of speed to light squared. And the way you'll know it is the dense energy in your body called a discomfort, will just go away and that's how you'll know something is different if you invite someone to bring all of their attention to the energy that's the dense energy that they're going to call sick to stomach or pain in chest or itch on foot or headache or buzzing overhead those are all dense energies When you bring your awareness to them and you hold them with that kind of witness function, it's like saying, we're going to speed you up so much that you're going to go back into your pure form. And the way you would know that in a therapy session is your 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 pounding chest will just stop. Your excruciating headache will just go away because it will go back into its pure form. And that's you as a client will know right away if you've chosen to bring your attention to the sensation. And you've shared like you're going to let it use your mouth and use your eyes and share its story. And if you, sh- if you just let it share its story while you are there as a witness holding it, magically, after 20 minutes, that excruciating headache that's been there for two days will just disappear. It will go back into its pure form, which is a verb. It's a flow. It's no longer an identity called headache. It's now you can't find it anymore because it's gone back into something that doesn't exist in the world of matter. It's gone back into its pure form. I don't know if that helps any, but from a practical point of view, it's great, because you'll know in one session, if you start with a body sensation and it isn't there anymore, you'll know something's different if you're the client. And if it's still there, you'll say, Andy, like, you know, I started with, I was feeling like I was gonna retch, and I still feel like I'm gonna retch. And I'd say, well, then I gotta figure out what's going on, because I trust you. That's where it's useful.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. Thank you. Yeah. Another thing that I sort of grabbed onto, and when you were what you were sharing, when you started talking about the frontal occipital hold, mm-hmm. um, and you said you could say a lot about the occiput, I would like for you to say a lot about it because I I'm really fascinated by how that fits. I mean, what I've learned this is the most small thing, but what I've learned about the occiput is, I'm not a psychologist, keep that in mind, that it is where pre prenatal and birth and first six months trauma is held. And that might be just a big oversimplification, but I know for many of my clients, I know many people who have pain and tension there and they also have that kind of trauma history or attachment wounds from that early period and so i'm i'm fascinated in hearing what you have to say about it
1: well you said two things and i this is what i want to say i think i this is not my area of expertise either i mean like you know so it's not like i spend my time looking at brain function i have to tell you it's not where i'm particularly interested although at this point in the world you have to know a lot about these things but i'll tell you what i would say about it given what you said but this may not be where you want to go If someone has pain and tension there and they choose to bring their awareness there and it's prenatal trauma, let's say it's a trauma in the womb and they bring their attention there and it really was, suddenly they will either see themselves back in the womb, be back in the womb, or know what was happening back in the womb. And I would say if they have tension there And they choose to bring their awareness to that sensation, and they're supposed to find something that's an early trauma, they will find it. But I would say that you can't, it's not a guarantee, because what it also might be is it might look like, you know, early trauma, where, you know, something happened to their head, but they may have been another story where somebody, you know, in an imaginal world, they were in a war, and someone cracked their skull open from behind. Mm -hmm. And so, like... You know, then you would work on the prenatal trauma, and you still wouldn't get the fully elegant result because even that would be something else. So yeah. the the key I would say, if you're a therapist, is if if there's if there's I mean, you can find out for yourself because the, the from an apply point of view, what I mean, it's like we we have a theory, and then we have the implication, we have the application. The application is if you have a sensation back there, and you bring your attention there, and if you didn't know anything else, and someone starts, you know crying hysterically and begging for milk but they can't speak you'd know that they're pre right mm-hmm. except they would have chosen to bring their attention there so they would be with themselves as they were preverbal. and from a from another point of view it's interesting in terms of research but most of us aren't researchers most of us are clinicians so like from my point of view That's why I'm not so interested in the research, to be perfectly honest. So that's why I say, I mean, you have to pick up some of it just by the fact that that's where our world is. The cutting edge of our world right now is brain function. And so, you know, you go to conferences, you can't help but learn enough so that you can, you know, I know enough to be an expert for someone who doesn't know anything, so to speak. So. I, I would not say that's my best area of expertise is to tell you more about the occiput because it's secondhand knowledge for me. It's not what I really know from my own knowing so much except for what I've been taught by using these interventions and by going to enough of, you know, work on brain phenomena and trauma. So that's what I guess I can say about it, Laura.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for what you shared and I mean, what you what, when you described the frontal occipital holding and putting the hand on your forehead and the other hand at the occiput and how it connects the occiput and the prefrontal cortex, I didn't know that at all. But I know that it there's something feels really good about that. So it's you know a lot of it is like this visceral experience, and then there's what we can put words to. So,
1: mm-hmm. well, I'll tell you a story about that, which I don't know firsthand. I, I will tell you. The person that I sort of developed this with in the beginning said if i she said this now, this is twenty seven years ago, but she had already studied tapping a lot by that time because she was one of callahan's original students, but she'd also studied a lot of cranial sacral therapy. She said if I had only one practice, it would be frontal occipital holding, mm. and she said one of her students who was a nurse in a you know a home for you know people who were Losing their mind, losing their mental function, did that practice two times a day for five minutes each. And this is, I don't know the story to be true because I was told it third hand. What I was told is the psychiatrist went in there and said, What's going to all these people? It was sort of like the movie Awakenings, where, you know, they started to have, be more, more associated again. And, you know, I don't know the story firsthand, but I can believe it. But I'll tell you, it does wonderful things. If you're dissociated and you try to stay dissociated, if you put one hand lovingly in your forehead and one hand on the back of your head between your ears it's hard to do it gets people back into their bodies really well
0: that's really that's really helpful to know It makes sense
1: yeah it did to me too and you know i know it's a craniosacral intervention and i know what my lineage is so i can you know there was a craniosacral therapist in california who my colleague learned that from Whose name is Mary Louise Muller and she, that was the main practice that she was teaching my colleague was front. It's called, it's also called unwinding frontal occipital holding. Cause if you do it for somebody else, which is a glorious experience, you say, just let your neck go. And what you'll begin to feel is you'll feel pulses in your hand. And every time you feel a pulse in your hand, something's releasing. And then when their neck stops, you just know they're done. And it's really, it's. You know. You know, if you know frontal occipital holding EFT and, and EMDR, you're gonna you're gonna go a long way. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't use then,
0: EMDR, but I do know that it is very powerful and effective for people.
1: Yeah, I'd say and if you do that while you focus on a body sensation and bring all your attention there you'll which is usually taught with these things, but there's some therapies that don't do that. Because when you do that, you realize that it's not person centered anymore because you realize these sensations are living beings, just like we are. they're parts of a community you know they're parts of a what you would call a soul community of which we are a part. we just happen to be the one that is most visible right now in you know twenty twenty but it's sort of like it's a temple with you know gajillions of columns, and each one has a life of its own. And it's not that they're parts. You can do work with parts, but that's a whole different thing. It's much more archetypal. But these are actual living beings. You know, it's somebody who's getting their head cut off in France, or it's you as a four-year-old who says, you know, when your father won't accept your gift and pushes you, I don't care, who's 19 and now having a major depression because his girlfriend, you know, doesn't accept his gift. It's not a part. It's a four-year-old you, except it's not you. It's 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 heavy wet oatmeal in chest that's its name so the one thing i would say to people is if you really want to do elegant work for yourself whenever there's something you're suffering about notice what happens in the body there will be some sensation choose to bring all your awareness there focus there like you're going to become the sensation and get receptive and if all you did was do that you're going to be way better off than you are in most therapies because most therapies talk about problems. But in this case, you're going to be choosing to be with the one who's having it while simultaneously holding them. And people find out things. They think they remember things. They find out things doing that way that is like they say, oh, my goodness, I never realized that because they've now become – if I talk to you and I say, Laura, what happened when you were four years old? And you said, let me think about that. Well, I'm talking to Laura. But let's suppose four-year-old Laura is here and its name is, you know, sick to stomach. Why would I talk to Laura? Laura doesn't know what happened when she was four-year-old. Sick to stomach knows. Sick to stomach is four-year-old Laura. So why would I want to talk to Laura, who's however age Laura is? That'd be like, if I were here and I wanted to tell you my story and you said, you asked my parents, like, what's his story? I'd say, why aren't you talking to me? And so it's an amazing thing when you start to say, everything is living it's not like you have a problem it's that when there was something that couldn't be handled something was born just like you were born in a moment and from that point of view you could say you're a problem to life except you're an opportunity for life just like sick to stomach is an opportunity for laura it's the same idea and when you take care of all that stuff you become who you really are which is life. Mm. That's why I don't usually, I mean, I, if muscle testing tells me to talk with a client, I'll do it. But most of the time, I'll say to the client, if you knew why you were here and you knew what to do about it, you wouldn't be here. So it's not fair to ask you. Let's find out who really knows. And the answer to that is life. And what does life mean? It's the part of you that just when you tune in, you say, you know what? I just know something. I didn't figure it out. Didn't even have an emotion about it. I just know. Or it's the part of you that just says, like, I know what's really true for me. I know what I really desire. Not all the stuff that, you know, I had to be to be a good little boy and girl. But I know what's really there. That's life. And when you don't follow life, you'll get life giving you a clue about it because it will give you a dense energy. And it will be the one that's not following life because it couldn't handle something. Whether it's Laura at nine years old who says... You know what? I wanted to do something, but my parents said, forget it. You're supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to be a dancer. That's a waste of time. And suddenly, Laura is no longer, you know, and that one gets hidden behind her. And Laura then, like, becomes, like, you know, a math student or whatever. Probably not, but whatever. And at some point, you say, well, that was just a protection. It's not who I am. Who am I really? And if you go be- below that protection, you'll find the true you that's been there waiting for you to find it, right? That's why, I So that makes sense to me.
0: (laughs) So you have you are co-author of a book that's coming out soon. The One Hour Miracle. Mm -hmm. Can you tell our audience before we finish up for now about your book and what they'll find in there?
1: Sure. Basically, what you will find is you will find my story and my co author's story. whose name is Joni Beckett, um, who I would rave about if we had more time. And you'll find uh, stories of some of the people. Not many books have stories of the people. They have stories of the clinicians talking about the people. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have stories that people tell what it was like from the inside out. And then what we're going to do is we're going to give you sort of like a a big picture of like life and sort of a theory about life, kind of like we were talking about here today. And then we're going to say, well, what are the implications of that for healing? And then how do you apply it? So it's going to be in each of those sections. And then we're going to tell you, we're going to show you how you can distinguish between different kinds of trauma. Because, like, if your depression is a protection... You'll do something very different than if your depression is a reliving of something. So when the story I told you about, right, her depression was the reliving of a story. It wasn't protecting her from anything, right? You know, her head was getting cut off and her depression was, I'm weighed down, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I can't move, right? But let's suppose oppose your depression is that little boy I was telling you about. And he says, he, his father pushes him away, he says, I don't care. Why does he say, I don't care? because he never wants to feel that overwhelming emotion again. So his depression is gonna be a protection from something worse, whereas her depression is gonna be reliving the worst thing, and it do something very different, and we'll teach you how to distinguish those things, and then we're gonna teach you something else, which is that there are some traumas that there are some ways that we're limited that you can't trace back to anything except for the fact that we're alive and we identify with being Laura. And as soon as we do that, there's a problem, which is that we have an anxiety about non-existence. And what is non-existence? Non-existence is the divine. It's life, right? Non-existence is the black hole that if you go into it, you find everything in all space. But from our point of view, if we identify with something limited, then if we became everything, we would cease to exist. And what I would like to share with people is then they have a problem. So then they have to identify with something called I, except for the fact that with all traumas, right, There is a negative core belief that goes with it. So I'm going to say, you know what, I'm defective. So then I have to protect myself from the I that feels limited by saying I'm special. And that is the foundation of personality. So what I'm going to show people what to do is personality is like a kind of armory that protects us from experiencing something that we're afraid of, which is non-existence, but really is the point of life because if you could really become everything then you wouldn't be afraid of anything and that's a whole different kind of trauma it has the same structure as if you were hit by your mother or father is if you become born it works exactly the same way but it feels very different and so there'll be people you'll work with and they'll say something like you know I'm, I feel fundamentally insufficient and you'll keep searching for why that is and you'll never find it because it's built into their structure. It's like, you know, it's like saying, why am I a dog and not a cat? Well, you can't go back into life experience and find why, find, I mean, no, if you're, if you're a dog and, or you're a cat and I say, you know what? You know, I'm not going to feed you unless you chase balls. I might get you to chase balls, but you'll still be a dog, but you're not really just a dog, right? And you're not really just Laura, because really, if you look at it this way, what are we? On the surface, we're all different, but underneath it, we're all the same. It's called in, you know, in biology, it's called DNA. We, every cell is everything. That's why you can take one cell and clone the whole body, which means all the information is there if you can access it. And all it takes to access it is not to identify with the surface, but that's very scary. Because it's very scary to look in a mirror and have nothing looking back at you. But the day you can do that and say it's not a problem, it's the point, then it's like you become the Buddha. Because he says, you think that I'm living and dying, but there's no such thing as living and dying. And we can all get there. That's the promise of therapy, really, that we can all get to a place where we could say yes to everything. So anything we can't say yes to, whether it's non-existence or the fact that my father looked at me funny when I was age four, it's all the same thing. And you can deal with it all the same way. It's just on different levels and you know if people know that then it's like they could be free and then it's like it's like you know ultimately we could all get to a place where you know whatever tradition you're in you know christ says you're all christ what does that mean it means that we're all everything we just don't know it and like if we could get people to a place where they say like there's nothing i have to be anxious about then i can really align with who i truly am and play my part in this amazing journey called life Without fear. And that's when things get really amazing because we then get to say, yeah, I'm going to be the ballerina because that's I wake up in the morning and I can't not do it because I'm just, you know, or I'm going to be the barber because when I'm cutting someone's hair, I'm just like fundamentally feeling great or whatever the heck it is. And you say, like, I don't know, because all the answers are within and that's that's the ultimate message. It's all there. All you have to do is ask.
0: Well, that is a very powerful message. And you know a lot of stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of stuff. And someday I'll get there. But, you know, I know a lot of stuff. And I'm still working on all this stuff still after knowing all this stuff for 27 years. it's You know, that's why I say some of this stuff, when you really have to face, like, you know, your deepest fears about yourself as my wonderful partner and spiritual partner in all this Joni says, it's like, you know, climbing Mount Everest and the higher up you get, the you know, the tire you get and the less oxygen there is and whatever, but you have to know somewhere there's the promised land, you know, Mm. and it's when we can just, so, you know, so I'm still working on stuff and, you know, the amazing thing about this work, I'll tell you the amazing thing about this work too, Laura, I had a, I had a, you know, one of our trainings, I don't know if I told you this, one of the people who was in the trainings, the organizer, her daughter was a 17 year old. She was a senior in high school. She said, could she come to the first weekend of the training? I said, sure, she can come to the first weekend of the training. Anyone who has an open heart and is, you know, can follow a protocol can come to the first weekend of our training. So she comes, and she, on the second day of the training, gets. we, we, we practice very quickly in this training that people actually do a session with each other. And she gets matched with a, a very senior healer who looks at me like to say, you're going to send me off with her? And I said, yeah, the life said that the two of you are going to go off together. She came back an hour and a half later and said, that was the deepest healing I ever had. girl said, it wasn't that hard to do. I could sit with her, and I could read a protocol. Okay. Now I want you to know I'm doing this work for 27 years. I'm still learning stuff every day. I wake up and it's like, it's like my eyes are open to something new and my clients teach me something new. And it's like, I haven't, and I believe me, I can get bored. I never get bored with this. It's like, it's like, I still am learning things. I was learning things the other day. I mean, it's like, that's the amazing thing about this. It's like, and you know, my apocryphal story was when I went to the planetarium when I was, like, a six-year-old with my brother. It tells you everything you want to know about me and my brother. You know, it's a story about going to the stars, and I leave there, and I say, I want to understand all the answers to all the questions in the universe. And my brother, you know, who's on spaceships, he says, I want to know how to do it. And that tells you everything. And I've been moving more towards my brother, and he's been moving more towards me. But it's like... It never, it's like, oh my God, it's all understandable. And, and it's no, it's no use to understand it if you can't understand the implications, then what, then to do something with it, right? So it's like, it all has to go together. And, and it's all, you know, it's like, it's like wonder. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like entrancing. It's like you enter into something, right? You go through into an entrance. But what happens when you go into entrance, you know, and not a trance, but to be entranced by life? Like, oh, my God, I get to know you more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Like, and then we can use that for helping everybody know it more and more and more. And then they, we get a result, which is either their symptoms go away, or they say it's not a big deal. And of course, if it's not a big deal, it's not a problem. If someone came in to me and said, you know, Andy, I have an intention. I never want to die in the material form. I can't promise them that won't happen. But I can say, look, if we work long enough, which may take lifetimes, at some point or other, you won't be anxious about the fact you're going to die. Then you don't have a problem. So wow. you have to be able to use it, you know? So it's, well, yeah. It's really...
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it is like this is this type of exploration is not I mean, it just seems infinite.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But not in a but, bad way.
1: No, in a good way. But the amazing thing is, you know, what's the amazing thing? The infinite is limited. Think about it for a second, because if you're everything, the one thing you can't be is, hey, you can't have a relationship with anything. So in order for the infinite to evolve, there has to be something that isn't infinite, because we can do something the infinite can't do. We can eat an apple. The infinite can't eat an apple because it's all everything. So how can it eat an apple? It has to be separation and identity to eat an apple. But if we could simultaneously be self-aware that we're everything while we're something, that's pretty wild. Mm. And so I think what we're doing, actually, is you could say that in terms of life, every time we become more aware, we're helping life evolve. Life evolves through us. Life needs us just like we need life, because how is life going to evolve if it can't have experiences? And life, in order to have experiences, it has to be with all the things that are, you know, the, the particles of life that forgot who it really was. But imagine what happens when we remember who we are and we still can eat an apple. So
0: I I can barely wrap my mind around it. (laughs) Me
1: too. I can't wrap my brain around it at all. And I can barely wrap my mind around it too. But you know, it's like, it's a North star. I know it's there someplace. So I keep searching, you know?
0: Well, Thank you so much for sharing a tiny sliver of what you've been doing for 27 years with us today. And can you tell our audience again, for those who didn't hear last week's episode part 1 where they can find more of what you're doing.
1: Sure. They go to lifecenteredtherapy.com and that's our website. If they want to know about our online training, they can go to ready for a miracle and they will find it there and you can find all of our practitioners in our on our website under about LCT there's a pull down menu that gives you all the practitioners. And, you know, if you ever want to, because what is really amazing, Laura, is when, you know, someone gets to experience this and we all get to be there with them because when they're doing work, it's like everybody gets to do work, your whole audience, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Yeah. So if you if you ever really want to do that, I say that to you now because 'cause I'm just thinking about it because, you know, you can do whatever you want with that. But um <laughs> well
0: you know, everyone who heard last time will remember that you you mentioned doing leading me through something for our part two but I wasn't ready
1: <laughs> well if, if if anyone wants to when you want to pick somebody and you want because I can do the demonstrations remotely you know I can I work with people all over the world and you know the thing I would say to anybody is all i 'm going to ask you is if you could have anything you want from our time, even if you didn 't think it was possible, what would you really intend if you could have anything you desire, and I will tell you i 've done this over and over and over again and you know, the one thing I would say is you're. It's I'm here within for that person fundamentally. If they say something's coming up and I don't want to share it, I say I'm so glad that you were able to tell us what was true for you. Uh, but I tell everybody that that has not happened once, and I've done demonstrations for you know I can't even tell you how many. And I think part of the reason for that also is you know some people like you know some people are you know are very happy to share themselves with everybody, but there's also a sense of like. Oh my God, we're all in something together and we're all being, you know, that person's being held, but that person, when they're doing the work, everybody's doing the work at the same time. So it's really quite an extraordinary thing, you know, and you know, I do this with individuals, but I also do it with groups. And it's like an amazing thing when we do it with groups because then it's like, that whole group becomes like a mystical body. It's like a sacred circle. And we're all part of that circle. And each of us is our own, brings our own uniqueness and our own gifts and challenges. But each of us also is the whole circle and holds the whole circle and is everybody else in the circle. And it really gets like, you know, mind bending, you know, it's like, because it's beyond, you know, when I'm just thinking about, you know, when I'm not working, I say, really, this is like too weird. (laughs) But I want to go back and watch football. But, you know, (laughs) I'm being serious about it too. You know, it's, it's really something. But anyway, thank you so much, Laura. And I hope you and your audience, what I really hope is that they got, I hope you got whatever it is that you most wanted to get from this. I hope you got it. And if you didn't, and you write us a question, you know, whether I come back or not, I'll be happy to like reflect on it with you. And I love the fact that, you know, you let me have a chance to share this stuff and i am love having a conversation with you. And, you know, I feel just really grateful and you know it touches my heart. So thank you so much.
0: Oh, thank you so much too. And um, you know, we'll definitely talk about having you come back sometime, but for now we've got part one and part two. And and for anybody who didn't hear part one, there will be a link in the show notes and there will be links to the, the websites that Andy mentioned as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Yes. <smart noise>